I'm Karen Lewis, and welcome to Recovery Bites, a show that gets real about recovery, where we welcome voices in the field and voices of experience. Join me for candid interviews with experts in eating disorder and mental health recovery. Listeners can look forward to new perspectives, meaningful conversation, diverse connection, and compelling personal narratives that make a powerful difference in how we live. Episodes focus on life beyond recovery, the good and the not so good, the successes and the challenges, and the authentic accounts of recovered lives. Not their whole story, just bites. All right, everyone, here we go. This is a really beautiful, spiritual, powerful episode. My guest for today is Connie Sobchak. And Connie is the author of the book Embody, Learning to Love Your Unique Body. And I'm telling you, You're all in for such an incredible story in this episode. Connie talks about her own experience with her eating disorder. Connie talks about her sister's experience. There's, there's, I just can't even say enough about it. So what do I usually do? I say, let's just get going. Okay, here we go. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Recovery Bites. I am really honored to have our guest on today, Connie Sobchak. Connie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Karen. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'm so happy to have you on the show. There's so much that we're going to go into in your own narrative and what you're doing, but can you just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, what you're doing right now? the book, you know, the name of your book, things like that. Absolutely. I am Connie Subchuk. I am the co-founder and executive director of a nonprofit called The Body Positive. We're celebrating our 25th anniversary this year, which is very exciting. And I am the author of a book called Embody, Learning to Love Your Unique Body and Quiet That Critical Voice. And I just also did a TEDx talk called Embracing Your Critical Voice, The Gateway to Self-Love. So I saw that TED Talk, and I'm going to highly recommend anybody watch it because, or everyone, because it is, it is really powerful. I loved that TED Talk. So, so hopefully we're going to cover a lot of the same stuff because it's so rich and obviously add some more. So Connie, your story about how you got into this work is pretty powerful. So I'm wondering if we can start with that. What got you into this field? My work is all about my own personal experience and my passion. I was a really free, happy child up until the age of probably around 12, 13 Um, Like a lot of girls at that point, I started going into the whole body hatred piece Um, before that. I mean, I grew up on a farm. I had horses. I was just really free in my body and around 13 started hanging out with girls who were part of diet culture 
It wasn't called that at the time. Everybody just hated their bodies. And the other thing that was happening was at home, uh, I have two sisters. Um, one, Stephanie, my oldest, was, well, both of them really tall, big, almost six feet tall. And looking back, I can see that Stephanie was binge eating during her teenage years. And at the dinner table, my dad would hassle her about her weight. Uh, do you sure you want to eat that, Stephanie? Do you know how many calories are in that? And so there was a lot of body shaming that was happening at the dinner table and I just absorbed it all. And um, so that added with my friend group and everybody hating their bodies uh, by the time I was 15. I started dieting at 13. By the time I was 15, I ended up with bulimia because a friend said, here's what I do. There was no word for it at the time. This was the 1970s. So it was just a very normalized behavior in my friend group. Stephanie independently got bulimia, discovered it, and then we figured it out together. We bonded over our body hatred, um, engaged in bulimic behaviors together. And then she also got breast implants when she was in her early 20s. She thought something was wrong with her nipples, went to a plastic surgeon who said, well, while we're here, we can make your breasts bigger. So she got breast implants. One was faulty, it hardened, and two doctors took their forehands and crushed the breast and the implant, and it oozed silicone into her body. Without knowing what was happening to her, what we found out later was she had developed lupus cerebritis. Uh, so fast forward a little bit, at the age of um, 21, I got over my eating disorder on my own. I had a moment where I realized that I wanted I realized that I wanted to die and I had this wake up call that's a really kind of interesting story but I I woke up and I decided to live so I did all the work to heal myself um, spent my 20s really finding peace with my body falling in love with my body falling in love with food and movement that was joyful and then when I was 31, I had a daughter. And then at 32, my sister Stephanie died. She was 36 years old. So um, that was my big wake up call. And I realized I had this baby girl who was just in love with her body, just starting to walk and, you know, love belly and everything. All parts of her body were just so, so joyful to her. And I just realized I had to change the world for her. So that was the beginning of the body positive. It took me a little while. I didn't know what that meant. But then I was really lucky. I met my colleague, Elizabeth, and um, I had kind of started doing some of the work and then we joined forces and here we are. What was it like trying to go through the recovery process on your own? You said you sort of woke up and I, I, I'm assuming just from my own experience, you didn't just like pop out of bed one morning and say, you know what, today I think I'm going to start to recover. So what was it like? Because like you, I did not have formal treatment because they did not have it 30 years ago. So how did you navigate through that? Well, I, the interesting thing was I, I started feeling suicidal. I, uh, I didn't realize what had happened. And this is the interesting story. I had just told my mom, I started talking about it first. I started telling people, this is what I'm doing. I don't know why, but it was just, it had been so secretive before, except for with my friend group growing up, everybody, we just all talked, we did it together. Uh, and, and there was this moment where I started telling people and it just sort of happened. And then I had told my mom and actually what happened was I went away for a month and I happened to be in situations where I couldn't engage in my bulimic behaviors. The minute I got home, it started again. And I think that that was really, there was this moment of feeling what freedom felt like. And so 
that's when I felt suicidal. I just felt like I can't go back to this. I can't go back to this life. And so there was this day I was standing on my rooftop in my little apartment in Berkeley and looking over the edge and feeling like, oh, you know, I knew I wouldn't do it, but I just felt like that would be freedom. My phone rang days before answering machines, no cell phones. It took me a while, but I got there, answered the phone. It was my mom. And she said, I think you're trying to kill yourself with your behaviors. And it was like this moment of wake up where I realized the two nights before I had had dreams of suicide and that somehow I had been pulled out of them. And in that moment, I just, you know, out loud said to her, I don't want to die. I want to live. And, and that was like this moment of there was this little spark of life force inside of me that had stayed, stayed alight, you know, just this tiny little flame. And, and it just kind of went whoosh. And suddenly it was just like, oh my God, this is what I want in my life. And that was the moment. And from that point forward, the first thing I did was I knew I had to leave my partner who used to poke my thighs and tell me I was soft and I should go running at a time when I was an obsessive compulsive runner, you know, and really quite thin. And uh, so I left my partner. I started also making new friends. I left my friend group that was all disordered eating and really started hanging out with people who loved their bodies and loved life. And then I, I met, I started dating someone that I thought was just going to be a fling and in almost 40 years and we're still together. And he was a, just this lovely person who didn't try and fix me, but just listened to me. You know, I, I'm, I'm not ready to jump into your book yet, but you realize what you're saying is sort of, it is the, the trajectory somewhat of the five core competencies, which are what you utilize. Well, I changed my mind. Let's get into the book. I I do this quite often. So this feels like the path that you took for self-discovery to get into your into your what you call the body positive model. Can you speak a little to that? Yes, it's really fun. What I love about our work at the Body Positive is Elizabeth comes from, she is a psychotherapist, a social worker. And so she comes and brings in all this incredible material from there. And I come from the side of having experienced the healing myself and all the things that I had to teach myself. So the first uh, competency of the Be Body Positive model is uh, reclaim health. And so that was something that I had to do. I had to learn how to be the expert of my own body. I learned how to listen to quote unquote experts, doctors, and everybody telling me what I should and shouldn't do with my body. And then always coming into how does that work for me? Also really honoring my ancestors, my body, who I come from, my body shape, my sisters, both, you know, as I said, almost six feet tall. I'm not, I was called the runt in my family. I take after my mom's side of the family. And so really learning to love that ancestry in me, that's a big part of it. Understanding my body story. That's another thing we teach with Reclaim Health. How do I relate to my body now? What are all the messages that I got growing? And then we teach health at every size. So we really honor size diversity. I think if my sister had had that message and seeing that she was a big person, she would be alive today. So then the second competency is practice intuitive self-care. And that was something that I had to teach myself. I became an intuitive eater before there was a field of intuitive eating. Anybody talked about it. I just learned how to listen to my body, how to live with trial and error, make quote unquote mistakes, realize their learning experiences. And that's how I learned how to feed myself and move my body and find rest and all of that. So listening to my body was key. And then 
the third competency is cultivate self-love. So we cannot live with trial and error and have error if we are going to beat ourselves up every time. So learning how to be kind to myself. Now that one took longer, I have to say for me. It took me a lot longer to get to being, I was fine and loving around my body and food and all of that stuff. But the rest of my life, being kind to myself is something that I've had to practice and practice and practice and really took me into probably like in my early 40s to go, oh, I get it now. And uh, so that that one took a little longer. Uh, the fourth competency is declare your own authentic beauty. This is coming back to this ancestor piece and really honoring that I can have beauty. I can start my definition with myself and that does not come from a place of conceit. It comes from a place of honoring that I have purpose and value in my life and that I have beauty and it comes from these ancestors in this long line of life. And then that takes me out of the beauty hierarchy so I can see beauty everywhere and I'm not comparing myself to anybody. This is my beauty and everybody else gets to have beauty and the world is beautiful. I mean, there's so much beauty in the world when we can include ourselves. And then the fifth competency is build community. And that comes back to what I had to go through when I was healing, which was change my community, find community that supported me and loved me for who I was and didn't try and fix me or think I should look different. It is such a beautiful model. I'm wondering when I know you work with adults and I think you work with teens, correct? How do the teens hear this model and implement it? It's difficult enough for an adult to to say, I'm gonna I can do this. But look at what you went through with your friend group. Like you and all your friends were were binging and purging or eating and purging, whatever it was. So how do teens how do they interpret this message? For them, it's so much easier. So so our work started with teens. And what was so beautiful about it was they just say, yes. They So many of them say, why hasn't anyone ever told this to me before? There'll be 14, 13, 15, 16, 17, 18, the high school ones, and then in college. Everybody, then there's this kind of anger that comes up. Like, why didn't anybody in my life tell me that I could love my body? It's as simple as that. I could, you have permission to love your body. You have permission to live your life as you are. You are unique. You are, have this incredible purpose in your life. You have amazing skills in your life. You get to use them exactly how you want. And this body is yours and you don't have to listen to anybody else. And they're like, yes, because they're at that rebellion stage too. So the way to rebel is to say, I love my body instead of going along. And I, I challenge the youngest, I, I used to give a talk to a seventh grade girls health class at a school in the Bay Area. And I just remember getting to a point where I just said, look, you have a choice. I'm not going to tell you what you should do because everybody's telling you what to do. I'm just saying that you can choose to follow everybody else and hate your body because that's what everybody does. Or you can be a radical and you can choose to love yourself and be free to live in your life as it is. But I, I'm not attached to what you choose. But I can tell you, a lot of people have made this choice to love themselves. And boy, do they have a good time in life. And they just light up to hear that. I'm I'm not saying this jokingly. I'm saying this seriously. Like, where were you when I was in health class? Because that's not the message I got. Me either. I got messages about, you know, 
about our bodies are supposed to be a certain way. There are good foods and bad foods. And, you know, I, I never got that permission to say you're, you're perfect just the way you are. And every body is different. So I really wasn't saying that, like, where were you? Like, wow, I, I, I'm so grateful that you're spreading this message, yet so sad that I had to learn it on my own and through my own heartache and hardship of my eating disorder and recovery. And I'm grateful that I learned it, but I'm just, I'm imagining myself as a 13 year old back in, in school. I, I think I would have been in awe, Connie, if you had come into my, my school, my health class. It's been the most beautiful part of my life. I I uh, can't imagine my life not getting to do that. And through the hard times running a nonprofit when there's been no funding and it's been really tough and I've basically been a volunteer and just like, why am I doing this? I get these moments with these young people, especially, and and then to get to watch them grow up. Our, our oldest group, or our first group of peer leaders are turning 40 this year. And they're, so they're older. I was 35 when I started the organization. So they're 40, they're having babies there. And just to see one of the things that I wanted to have happen, and this was just, I didn't know what I was gonna do with the work, and but I knew that I wanted to participate in evolution is how I felt. How can we continue to pass these things on to the children? So if I can work with young people who will then be in the lives of children, whether they have them or not, but somehow relate to children and be a role model of a different way to be in a human body that we can stop this. We can stop this, this the suffering and the death and all the things that just are should not be happening because of the shape and size of our bodies, our identity. And so that's my passion is working with I love working with all ages. I have a women's group that I'm doing now and it's a little different. It's not so much about the body. It's, it's um, about being wild women and it's really exciting, but I love the work with the kids too, because then they just off they go and to see what they do in their lives. Oh my gosh. It's so amazing. It's unbelievable. And, you know, forgive me if I'm saying something that sounds harsh, it's it, please never my intention, but imagine if your sister got this message she may still be with us today, have not had those implants, have not had that complication that basically poisoned her. And I think the first thing I want to say, Connie, is I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry for the loss of your sister. The other thing I want to say is this is also what we can do with grief is turn it into a passion by the way, not that anyone ever should go through grief to create passion, but how did you do that? Because that's not an easy thing to do. And I know it wasn't just from your sister's experience, but that's pretty. That's a pretty big part of it. It it was interesting because I I knew I had to change the world for my daughter when Stephanie died. I knew that. And Stephanie left behind two children too. And I just felt it was just, it was like when I recovered and that little flame was there of life force, this was another flame. And this was, <clears throat> I knew always that I wanted to do something with around helping people heal their relationship with their body. And I had planned to become a therapist. And then I became a massage uh, 
therapist and I was doing my healing work that way. And I was noticing people were changing their relationships with their bodies through non-judgmental, non-sexual touch. And that's when my intuition really started coming to life. I would put my hands on someone's body and all this information would come up. So, so even before Stephanie died, there was kind of this, like, there's something more, there's a bigger audience for me. I need to get this out there. People are changing. They're free. I want to get this message to more people. It was very unconscious at the time, but when Stephanie died and then seeing this little baby girl, my Carmen loving herself so much and thinking anything could ever happen to her. I'm a very fierce mama and protective. And that was it. That was just, this will not happen to her. This stops here. And so that, <clears throat> and then I didn't know what I was doing at all. And then I just started kind of exploring and writing and, and thinking and what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then this idea came for creating a video for teens to start with, as I said, to get that generation that might be closest to being having babies or working with children to give them this message that there's a different way, plant seeds. That's all I sort of started thinking about. And then when I met Elizabeth, she was working in a school and wanting to do peer leadership work. And so our, our energy came together and she's, we've been just, you know, it's been this amazing partnership for 25 years of bringing both of our skill sets together and our passions together. And that was really when things just ignited and everything got started and we got our first grant and everything got going. We started working in high schools. So, so it was a very, I, I uh, have not had a straight line life for sure. I was planning to be an engineer and work in Silicon Valley when it was just starting. And that was gonna be like, I was gonna be the woman in Silicon Valley. And my physics teacher in high school said, get your MBA too, and then you'll run, run the whole world of computers. <laughs> and obviously the eating disorder kind of threw that off track. So, so just to be able to come back and work with kids and allow them to be free to follow their, their careers and everything, it's just been a delight. I'm wondering if you're okay if I highlight something, because I think there are two important messages. Um, you said that the eating disorder threw you off track from working in Silicon Valley. I want to highlight that for two reasons. One, I want people who think that they can still function in the world with an eating disorder to know it, it is not really possible. You, you can pretend you can try. It is, it is going to catch up to you at some point. As evident, as you said, it sort of changed your trajectory. I also want to say we always have second chances in life or third or fourth or fifth. So I, I kind of want to give the message of, you know, the eating disorder, yeah, can rob you of almost everything or everything. And I also want to say, don't, the reason why don't ever give up is because you can recover and then have it, have a different navigate to a different path through a different path. And that's pretty wild. Yeah, it was fascinating because I got to, I had started at a community college in Northern California and really, I loved math. I always loved math. And so that was, I, I have a logic side to my brain that I just love. Then I also have this wild creative healer side. So it's been interesting to see them come together. So I loved parts of it. And then I transferred to UC Berkeley and that's when my eating disorder really took over because I was living alone. And I, that's when it really just completely took over my life. 
And so I kept thinking something was wrong with my major. So I dropped out, changed my major to architecture, went back and then said, oh, something's wrong with this major. The eating disorder was just getting worse and worse and worse. And again, no word for it, no help, no, no awareness in the culture at all around this and still very normalized in my friend group. And then I dropped out again, majors wrong. And I went back in geography. And interestingly, that was the partner I had at the time. I had kind of encouraged him to get into geography because he said, I don't know what to major. And I said, well, I love geography. I'd taken one class. So he ended up doing that. And so we were in a class together. And, and at that point, when I knew I had to leave him, I dropped out of school again. And that time it was just, I have to get away. And that was the last time. And that's when I realized something's wrong in my life and I have to heal. And then I ended up going to another school. So that was always a real disappointment for me. And there were moments of shame. I didn't get to graduate from UC Berkeley and I went to a state school. And, and, and because I had had this education path that was in front of me that was supposed to be really great. And so I worked through that shame. I got a degree in psychology and then you know everything changed from there. Uh, and looking back, the fun part has been I do a lot of work at, and speak at UC Berkeley a lot. And the first time I did, one of our high school peer leaders was a student at, at Berkeley, and she had created a student-led class. They have these wonderful student-led classes at Berkeley. And she asked me to come in and speak, and it was in the engineering building. And I walked in, and people were writing, all the students from the class before were writing differential equations all over the blackboard. And I went, oh, my God, this was my life. This was me. And here I am, full circle, coming back. And I told my story. And, and so many students came up to me afterwards, and many said, I have an eating disorder. How do I heal? And so it was just this beautiful moment. But, yeah, I couldn't, have, I, I couldn't make it until I healed. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I can agree from my own, from my own narrative of, of living through an eating disorder. I have a question. And I think if you're a parent listening to this interview right now, it's the million dollar question. Connie, how do you raise a beautiful soul, your daughter, to not be bombarded by this culture? I mean, you can, you can be, like you said, the protective mama, you can, you can do what you can. And she still goes out into the world. So how did you teach her to navigate through this very toxic diet obsessed world we live in? What I tell parents always is that I didn't do it on my own. I created the body positive. So she grew up around an incredibly diverse group of people who were doing the work to love their bodies. So it wasn't just me, because that's really hard when you're the parent against the world. I, first of all, role model to her, and this is what I also tell parents, you got to work through your shit and make sure that you don't say anything in front of your child about not liking anything about yourself. So you have to do your own work. You have to forgive yourself if you haven't done that so far and do it. Uh, and commit to it because that's what you do for your child. But then I, so what I tell people now, you don't have to start a nonprofit organization either, but get a program in your child's school, get a body, start, come to us, have us help you start a body positive program. We're actually at the moment working, going back to the beginning stage. We, we used to have videos for all K through 
12 classrooms. And a lot of that got outdated. So we're coming back to it. And so we're creating a curriculum now for K through eight schools. And then we have our programs for middle school, high school and college to run groups and teachers can take this work and bring it in any way they want. So get a community around your child that isn't just you. Make sure it's happening in your school. I talked about it all the time in the car with her friends. I never made it be like a really negative thing or, or harsh, but we played with billboards. And it's interesting because we used to drive from um, Berkeley to San Francisco. She was in the San Francisco Girls Chorus. And so through middle school and high school, we did all these drives. We'd get across the bridge and there would be all these billboards of these horrible clothing ones and party like a rock star with the woman with her legs spread in the bikini with all these men standing over her, all this stuff. So we would just talk about it and joke and name them. And I would just do all this media literacy just in fun as we looked at billboards. Now, all of them are phones and everything's about technology. So it's great. All the, all the horrible body ones are gone and it's all about technology. But we, we just had a lot of fun. And, and growing up also around food was a big deal. Just really teaching her how to listen to her body around food. We had no thank you bites. She didn't have to eat what was on her plate, but she could take one bite and see if that's what her body needed. I had these fun ways and games of teaching her about nutrition, about like what your body needs. Halloween comes, you know, you're in balance. My arms are out right now, you know, like here's balance. It's very wavery, but then Halloween comes and whoops, you know, off you go. One arm goes all the way up, the other goes down. How do we come back into balance? As she got older, helping her make decisions about what she wanted and listening to her body, always listening. How do you feel? How do you feel? And I still do that. And now she makes decisions all still based on listening to her body about career, about partners, everything is about listening to her body. And it's always, how do you feel inside? So it's been a, it's been a beautiful process and it was kind of an experiment and it worked. We are so conditioned to not remember that we are like the authors of our own bodies, hearts, soul. We're so conditioned to say, someone else is going to tell you what you like, what you're supposed to look like, how you're supposed to feed yourself. And, and it's so, it, when you slow everything down and ask someone to go within, you know, I've, I've had clients where I say to them, if you, if you were making all the decisions, what, what would you, well, how would you do it? Like, what would you, and clients would say, I have no idea. I have no idea how to choose things for myself. I don't know what I want or what I like because I'm so conditioned to whatever the flavor of the month is, no pun intended. That's what I like. And what you provided for your daughter and her friends is the exact opposite. And that is amazing. That is really, really beautiful. That's what the work of the body positive is. That's what all of my work is about. It's giving people back themselves and the authority to know what they know. And how do you figure out what do I know? I don't know. You have to figure it out. You know, if you don't know, then take time to, to listen and wait until something comes. And I have this, it's actually on my personal website. It's, it's an activity called, what do I know? And so I do this a lot in my life where if I've got something in me and I can't find an answer, I just get a piece of paper and I write down whatever the issue is. And then I say, what do I know? And then I, without 
thinking consciously, I just let my hand go. And I, I know this, I know this, I know this, I know this. And I just keep writing down what I do know. And then I can, I'll, I get to a sort of a natural stopping place. And then all this information is there and it helps me access my intuition. So that's a free offer on my, my personal website. That's just been a tool that has helped me so much. It's, it's also, again, reminding people they know more than they think. And they know be about themselves better than anyone else. And I'm not saying don't reach out for support because I'm the biggest, you know, I, I'm the biggest fan of, I have my support group. I have my family. I have people that I reach out to. Yet also I take everybody's feedback and then I decide what fits for me. That's being the expert. So that's that whole, our first company. How do you become the expert of your own body, your own life? What made you decide to write the book? Were you just in this, when I say beautiful, I also want to say messy, frustrating, complicated, wonderful path of we call life. And you thought, now I want to add a book. To, like, how did that come about? It was interesting. I had started writing in, and I started writing poetry in around 2002. Stuff was going on. It was an interesting time. And I had a lot of time when my daughter was singing in the San Francisco girls course where I got to sit in cafes and I got my first laptop and there was no internet in the cafes so I just had this block of time and I didn't really know that this was coming but poetry just started flowing out of me and then essays and then I just started ranting about things in the world and it was right around the time the matrix came out and so I had written this whole essay and I want to bring it back out because people are starting to talk about it now the matrix which was at the diet industrial complex and and so so all this stuff just started pouring out of me and then th this was before we had actually formalized our B body positive model and then once we had our competencies suddenly I just went oh there's a structure of a book because I kept thinking I want to write something and put it together and put it out there for the public because we did all our work in schools at that time. And so it took me a really long time because I published my book 12 years later. So I had all these stops and starts of just writing and writing and gathering information and getting stuff out of my head and all these ideas and thoughts that I had. So then suddenly I had a format and then that's how I started putting it together. But interestingly, what really inspired me to finish the book because I could have easily just kept going and let it go and let it go was my dad died in 2011. And my dad was a writer. He was a journalist. And I had two things happen. I felt, wow, I really want to do this in a way for him. I am a writer too. And I know that. And he had encouraged me and loved my poetry. And just, there was this whole thing about our writing connection. And so that was part of it. I wanted to do it for him. But then also I realized I'm going to be his age, even though I'm, you know, 30 something years younger. I just went, oh my God, I could die tomorrow. I'm, even if I don't, this time is going to go by so fast. And this is something I'm passionate about. I want to give this to the public. So I'm going to do it. And that's, that was this, you know, the carrot dangling in front of me, whatever my muse just came through and said, do this now. And, and somehow I got the self-discipline at that point to do it. Do you mind me asking if you're getting any pushback from the body positive model? I know there's a lot of people that there's so many different models and theories out there. And by the way, there are going to be pros and cons or positives and negatives, whatever, however we want to define it for every model, because not everything is going to fit every person, right? 
Um, have you gotten any pushback? Well, I think that the interesting thing has been that we started The Body Positive in the 1990s, the mid-90s, and Deb Burgard, a psychotherapist, had started Body Positive. And so we met and decided we would keep the same name pre-internet. It was fine. We said, you know, if somebody calls you, you can give them my phone number. That's where we were in life at that time. There was no, you know, I mean, there was email, but people called each other. And then the internet came and then suddenly came the body positive movement, not with a capital T, but body positive movement started and then started spreading worldwide. And so everybody had their ideas about what it was. So body positivity has become a thing in the world that is beyond the body positive what we teach. Our model, we do not tell people how to live their lives. It is, here are some tools that we call them competencies, take them, incorporate them into your life. What is your unique body story, your life experience? Do these work for you? Take pieces of them. If they don't, discard them, go find more, add to it. So we are not at all saying, follow our model. So in terms of people who come in and use our work, there isn't a lot of pushback. People who don't have an idea of what body positivity is defined by us, then yes, there's a huge amount of pushback in the world. So much fighting around what body positivity is, who it's for, it excludes these people. Other people say it excludes, you know, it's just like I watch this whole thing and I'm just like, whatever, just go out and, you know, stop talking and go live your life, you know, go out and be in your body. So, uh, I mean, I think the other thing that I hear a lot is about body neutrality, which is fine for people if that's what they want. I, I have decided that I start with loving my body and then I do the work of acceptance of the changes in my body. It's not easy every day to, to be comfortable in the changing skin and the changes in my texture and structure of my body. I'm 61 now, but I love my body because it gives me life and I start there. So I can't be neutral about my body because it's my home. I love the the idea of the and, and forgive me, I can't remember how you worded it. Your your body story is that is that what you said? You know, I can't help but think going back when you said talk about you have to look at our our your ancestry and and whatnot. No matter how long I stayed in my eating disorder for. I was born genetically like my father's side of the family. It was never going to change. I could fight against it my whole life and be miserable because I assumed that I saw images of other different bodies. And I, it, you know, th these are things that I don't think people take into consideration. You can push against it, push against it, push against it. And unfortunately, the result could be like what happened to your sister, which is death. This is my body. Connie, I have my, and excuse me for saying this, everyone, I have my, my grandmother's breasts. I have my grandmother's curves. That is who I am. There is no eating, there's an eating disorder that can, can, keep it at bay for a while, but then there's no life. Then there's no existence. Then there's no connection. So it's, it's, I, I just don't think people really 
understand that as as much as they should. And I don't know if you have anything to say about that. I do. First of all, the ancestor piece is incredibly healing. Even if you don't know your ancestors, if you're adopted, if your parents, like my my niece and nephew, their mother died really young, so they didn't really know her. We imagine who they are all the way back to the first human. It's incredible, right? We have this long line of people and to think that they they survived whatever adversity they went through and then procreated and then survived and procreated all the way to give me this body and this opportunity for life. Even if I have struggles with it, with health issues that came from all of them, I have life. I have life. I'm here. I have life. So that to me is so important. And the messages that we get about Yes, you can, if you can fix yourself, you can turn into something that you, we are telling you is what beauty is. I mean, think about how many messages a day we get those. And it's really hard. That's why community is so important to remember when, when we start to get sucked in that matrix plug, you know, is going back in. It's like, eh, there's someone there to unplug us and say, here's who you are. I am your clear mirror. Remember that this is your life. It's, it's really, it, it, again, if we could just go back to some of the simplicities in life and we can't. And so I don't want to sit here and be like, oh gosh, we're, you know, we're doomed. And, and, you know, there are advances that are going on in the world that are phenomenal. We wouldn't be doing happy. We wouldn't be doing a podcast. We wouldn't be sharing our message with a larger community. So there are advances that are phenomenal, but I keep sitting here thinking, uh, I, and and Connie, I don't want to say it's San Francisco. Like, I don't want people to be like, San Francisco is the place. But I this whole interview, I just keep thinking of my community in San Francisco. And when I moved out there, I was 24. And I was there for about 14 years. Um, and it was the first time I found a community that was not attached to like beauty ideals was not attached to competing against each other. And and so maybe it's just because you live in the Bay Area and I'm, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm just thinking about my life there. But you can find that anywhere if you're looking for it. It's, it's not particular to the Bay Area. I just happened to find it there. Part of my healing was I was working at a restaurant in Oakland and it was a really diverse group of people that I worked with. So, and and everybody there was not, I mean, there were some people there who had some diet issues, but most of the people were just living their lives and and really having a good time and loving food. And so, yeah, there was this healing component for me. And I came from a community that was really tight around body stuff and everybody was all obsessed. And so it was interesting to come to a place where there was a lot more diversity. And I realized suddenly that I could just be me and no one really gave a crap who I was on some level to, I just got to be myself and I got to, I, I got to reinvent who I was. And that was very freeing. So I do believe that's possible to find anywhere. Sometimes you're going to have to create it yourself. And that's the cool thing. And that's why I want people to, you know, with my book or with the body positive work, get these tools in you and then create your own community around these ideas. Yeah. And create your own inner self because as I said, this is not unique to the Bay Area because I moved back to Boston over a decade ago and I'm still at home in my body, right? So it's not like if I ever walked out of 
the, you know, the parameters of the Bay Area, I, you know, went right back to who I was. But also, Connie, that that took a lot of work. And it took a lot of healing. It took self-compassion. It took acceptance. It took flexibility. I mean, I could go on and on and on about what goes into the healing process, but it is it is a pretty phenomenal place to be. It's 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 just the only word I can use. It's the best thing ever. It's the best and it's worth it. And if anybody's listening to this who's struggling now, keep going. It's worth it. It's so worth it. It's the best thing I've ever done in my life. Speaking of home being in our bodies, I was asked to do a, a commencement speech for a high school where we have a body positive program. And that's what I talked about was you're going out in the world, but the home is your you inside of your body. And we want to have a home that is free from violence. And that means learning about self-love and doing the work to love yourself when things are hard and then loving the home. And it gets messy. You have to clean your closets out sometimes. So there's going to be issues, but you're going to carry this with you. And as you leave home, you're home with your family, you're going out in the world, but you're taking home with you. Yeah. It's a really beautiful message. It really, it truly is which makes me really sad to say that we're starting to wind down. And and I wish we could go on for a lot longer because I feel like we could have this conversation for quite some time. Before I ask your final question, Connie, is there anything else you wanted to share that I didn't ask? Gosh, yes, I would love to talk to you for days. <laughs> you, you asked, yeah, one of the questions that beforehand was, is there anything that you're passionate about that you could talk about forever? And this is it. This to me is this idea. So we've talked about it, but I just want to say, yeah, really commit to self-love and a practice of self-love. And it's not a perfect thing and it never will be, but the more that you can have self-love in that self-protective, beautiful, type of self-love that's not about ego or conceit or anything, but just, I am here. I have this reason to love myself. That's what I want to say. And that's what I talk about in my TEDx talk, but just, this is worth it. You are worth it. Again, I highly encourage everybody to watch your TEDx talk. I watched it and I I got a little tearful. Everybody knows I'm I'm a crier. I love emotions. I love it was it was beautiful, Connie. It was it was really spectacular. So I just I can't speak enough about it. So just wanted to say that. Thank you. You're welcome. Yes, it was it was a really interesting process to do it. And because I in it, as you know, I talk about the day my sister died and and I hadn't I I talk about her dying a lot like I did earlier in the podcast. But in my TEDx talk, I talk about it in a way that's very deep and really personal and how I experienced it, the actual death. So that was a big, that was big. And uh, I'm, I'm really feel like I was able to honor her life that way. I was very honored to be able to witness it. And so I just want to say thank you because it was, it was really beautiful. Thank you. Connie, we're going to change gears though real quickly. And my final question for you is, if someone were to write about you on a bathroom stall, what would it say? I love this question. It was so fun to think about. I would want it to say, Connie is a true wild woman healer. She helped me be free to love my body and live with a capital L. 
my life. It sounds beautiful. I love that. Connie, thank you so much for being part of the show. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for what you're doing and for all of the healing work you're doing in the world. Well, I feel the same about what you're doing. So so I want to say thank you right back to you. All right, everyone, that does it for another episode of Recovery Bites. I look forward to speaking with each and every one of you next week. Take care and stay safe. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Recovery Bites. Be sure to visit recoverybitespodcast.com to join the conversation, access show notes, listen to past episodes, and more. You can also find us by searching for Recovery Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and major podcast streaming players. For weekly episode releases, you can follow us at at Recovery Bites Pod on Instagram. If you're interested in becoming a guest on the show or to submit a guest request, please visit KarenLewisEDC.com forward slash podcast sign up to begin the process. I'd also like to send out a heartfelt thank you to my producer, Jen Galvin. It is unbelievable the magic she does behind the scenes. All right, everyone. See you next week for another Recovery Bite. Thanks for listening.